0: as we get to the point. Amen. Over the past couple of weeks, we have started a sermon series called Building a Healthy Church. Building a Healthy Church. And we are looking at the book of 1 Timothy, which was a letter that was written by Paul to a young pastor who's pastoring in Ephesus. And last week, we were in the second half of chapter 1, and we have seen how Paul gave Timothy a charge to protect the doctrine of the church, to protect the hearts of the people in the church, but there was also this idea of elitism that had snuck into the church. They were arguing amongst themselves who had the best bloodline or who had the best lineage that went back to spiritual people. There was a conversation about their connection to Judaism, and in this letter, There is a very specific charge to the church to understand that salvation in Jesus is to all people, not just to a certain group of people. And we're gonna be looking at that idea today. Our passage today is all about prayer. So today we're gonna be talking about the role of prayer and the role that it has in the church. And can I just say that I am so thankful that we don't have to guess what the role of the church is. God has given us what our mission is, and what the role of the church is in the world around us. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at different ideas or different roles in the church, starting with prayer today, and we'll be getting into all kinds of roles of leaders and men and women in the church. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And as you're turning there, the verses will be up on the screen. I want to go ahead and start reading. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and trust. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Can we pray together? God, we thank you for the scripture. We thank you that you gave us something that was inspired and infallible that we can go to in every way, every question that we have of life. And God, I pray that today, as we look at the role of prayer, Lord, that you would comfort us where we need to be comforted. Lord, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. But God, I pray that we would have clarity from the scriptures today as we look at the role of prayer, as we look at the ways that we should be praying, and that as we look at the mission of why we should be praying and why we should be seeking after you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. A lot of times we talk about prayer in student ministry. It's usually how many of you need to pray more and everybody in the room raises their hand and we kind of have this collective moment of, okay, we're gonna let each other off the hook, okay? But it's important for us today to understand that prayer is not just offering up every need, want, and desire of our heart to God. There's a lot of things that I want in life, but I don't need to burden the heart of God for a new pickup truck. Are you with me? There are some things that are more important from the scripture that I should be praying for. Okay, so as we are getting into this passage today, prayer is of first importance to the church. You should be able to tell a healthy church by the way that they pray, by the amount of time that they direct towards prayer, because as we pray, we are seeking the face of God and we are, un- we are understanding that life is not all about us, but it's about God, just like the Bible is not about me, it is about God. So in the Westminster Catechism, Prayer is defined, I love this definition, as an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. In several places in the New Testament, it is praying is described as approaching the throne of grace. And whenever we approach the throne of grace, we're understanding that we are not the ones seated there, but it is Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father. When we pray, we are offering up the desires of our hearts as they line up with the heart of God, as we confess our sins and we are thankful for his mercies. I was talking to... A friend earlier this week, and we were talking about when we started at Mississippi College, there was a uh, the period of time where it's called Welcome Week as you get there. You don't know anybody. You're starting to get to know people, and there's a lot of icebreaker games that you have to play, and we were talking about how much we hated those, but one of those games was a question about if you could have dinner with anyone who is dead or alive, who would it be and why, and people would, it, you'd start to learn about other people's interests, right? somebody was really into sports, they may name an athlete that they wanted to go back and have a conversation with and maybe ask them some things about what their regrets were during a season or what it was like to win a championship. You may talk to an actor or a director of your favorite movie and ask about maybe some loopholes in a story that you may have found. Um, And then there was always somebody who would get real spiritual and say, well, I would just want to have dinner with Jesus. And look, I understand the sentiment behind that. How incredible would it be to be able to sit across from Jesus in the flesh and ask him questions? But we can approach the throne of grace and communicate with the creator of heaven and earth at any moment because we can pray. And God offers that opportunity to us, and we should never take that lightly. We should not approach prayer in a flippant manner We should not approach God out of pride. Our prayer life should not revolve around when we're eating lunch, okay? We need to understand that there is a very specific purpose that we pray, and we're gonna be looking at what that purpose is in the text today. I love that this text landed on Independence Day. I think it is incredible. Of course, you can see where we're going in the text, that we're praying for people in positions of power But I'm thankful for all of the freedoms that I'm able to experience today because of everyone who came before me and gave some the ultimate price with their lives. And I'm so thankful that I'm able to experience those freedoms because they have sacrificed. And so many of you in the room are either serving right now or you have served in the past. And I want to say thank you. But as we experience freedom in our country, and I'm so thankful for that, we can experience freedom in Christ. We can experience freedom from the yoke of bondage of sin in our lives by submitting to him and experiencing freedom in our life. So part of the incredible parts of our country, of the American experiment, is that we're a melting pot of cultures. A couple of months ago, our staff was up at the Pensacola Bay Baptist Association. That's our local association of churches. And they had a couple of guys from the International Mission Board who were sharing with us about the work that they're doing over in London and in different parts of the world. And as they were talking, there was a time period where we could ask questions and some people started to ask questions about uh, this thing that they called global cities. We're like, you know, what, what does that mean? There are cities all over the world that look nothing like the, the, uh, the, the makeup of the country that they're in. There's people from all over the world living in places like Dubai. They'll leave home, they'll go there to work to make enough money to be able to come back to their families and be able to bring some of that money that they made back to their families. There are global cities all over the United States. We have several, especially the further south that you go in the state of Florida, there are global cities down in Miami and Orlando and different areas and we can reach the nations right here in our community. Okay, just a couple miles down the road, the naval air station that is there. There's so many people who come through there that we can influence, just like we talk about with our military ministry. There is gospel opportunity all around us. And whenever we see the purpose of prayer, the purpose of prayer and the mission that God Himself has given us go hand in hand. We should be praying for all people. So, the first thing I want you to see in the text is the focus of our prayer, the focus of our prayer. When the people of God gather together, the focus should be on God and not just on us. Whenever we pray, whenever we approach the throne of grace, there are really two aspects of God that come to mind. One is the transcendence of God, His holiness, His power, the fact that He spoke everything that we see into existence. We understand that He is a greater and beautiful being, that He is greater than anything that we could ever be. And we approach the throne of grace in humility because of His transcendence, but we also know that God is with us, that He is imminent, He is all around us, that He knows our hearts better than we know ourselves. So as we pray, as we focus on prayer, the way that we pray can show the condition of our hearts. We do not tell God what to do. We do not tell God what to do, but we can bring our petitions to him. In the book of 1 Peter, it says that we can cast all of our cares on him because he cares for us. In Philippians chapter four, it says, do not worry, but through everything in prayer and supplication, bring what's on your heart to God. And look, I understand that there are some times in life that it's hard to pray, you may be going through some difficult uh, part of life right now. I uh, found out yesterday that uh, one of my former students up in Jackson, Mississippi, passed away. Uh, and that was just a reminder to me that life is so, so short. He was 20 years old. Um, found out that yet found out that out yesterday. So uh, as the Lord lays that on your heart, be praying for the Pearson family. They're, they're mourning the loss of their son today. And in times like that, when life is real, it's difficult for us to know that we can bring what's on our hearts to the Father. But He cares for us. I'm Looking around the room today, there's some of you that have got a diagnosis that's not gonna go away. And I've seen the way that you are faithfully serving the Lord and seeking after Him day after day. And I need to quit looking some of these people in the face right now. But what a blessing it is to me to see you seeking after the Lord and continuing to pray, and praying for salvation of people all around us, because I understand that you get it. And what an incredible thing that is for us to be able to pray and seek the Lord. But other times it's hard to pray because we neglect scripture. Part of of the time when it's difficult for us to pray, it's because we're not seeking after the Lord with all of our heart, because we're not seeking after him. And the scripture is clear, if we seek him, we will find him. So I wanna ask you today to do a little bit of a pulse check. Are you seeking after the Lord? Are you having a hard time praying because you've not been transformed by the renewing of your mind? Are you seeking after the Lord today? Verses one and two. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. Paul says, first of all, first of all, when we come together, prayer is a foundation for the gathering of the people of God. Jesus himself said, my house should be a house of prayer. And remember, he is guiding Timothy, a young leader who is in the church of Ephesus, and he gives him specific words of how the church should be praying There are four different ways that he says that we should be praying. This is not the purpose of this text, but I do think that it gives us some guidelines as to ways that we should be praying. Specifically, first it says, in supplications, these are humble requests that we make to God. Because if we understand God as our creator, if we understand God as everything that the scripture says about him, we approach him in a humble manner, We do not tell God what to do, but we bring him the issues that are weighing on our hearts. And if we are living in accordance to the scriptures, the issues weighing on our hearts would also be weighing on the heart of God. And we bring those to him, to the throne of grace with confidence, as Hebrews chapter 4 tells us. Then Paul says that we should be intercessors, meaning we should be bringing one another's needs to the Father. Our staff has a prayer list every morning when we come in. We work through that prayer list and we pray for you. We pray for things. If you've asked us to pray for you, you're on that list and we do that every day. And there are things from physical needs to spiritual needs and everything in between, but we should be praying for one another. I believe one of the ways that we can love one another is by praying for one another and we should be praying for one another. There's a few key moments in the Old Testament that really stick out to me. That point out the importance of praying for one another. One, for whatever reason, this one sticks out in my mind, is when Abraham is pleading for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? His nephew Lot is, is in the city, and he's praying to God. He's coming to the Father, and he's saying, Lord, if there are only so many holy people in this place, will you spare them? And God entertains this thought knowing the answer already, but then he works his way down. What about this many people? What about this many people? And then ultimately, God does not answer that prayer, but we see very clearly that God hears Abraham's prayer. God hears the heart of Abraham. God hears our prayers. There are times where we may be praying for people. There's times where I prayed for people to be healed and God didn't answer that prayer, but I know that he heard it. I know that he heard it because the Scripture tells me that he hears our prayers. The other time in of intercess, intercession in the Old Testament that I think of is when Moses is leading the people of God through the wilderness. They're described as a stiff-necked people. Okay, how many of you know church people can be stiff-necked people at times? I'm one of you. It's okay. We all can be. But it gets to a point where God says, I'm going to wipe them out and start over with you, Moses. Now, in Moses' position, as he's been dealing with all of the frustrations and the aggravation, you may look at that and say, oh, this is an opportunity. (laughs) But no, he pleads with God and says, no, these are your people who you called by your name, who you have raised up, who you have led out of Egyptian bondage into this wilderness. You are the only reason that they're still alive. God, your testimony among among the world is tied to these people and God hears his prayer and God relents from wiping them out. That's why we pray for one another because God hears our prayers and he may relent from his anger. These examples should reiterate to us the need that we have to pray for one another, to bring one another's needs to the Father. Too often I think we focus on the physical nature of our prayers when we're interceding for one another and there's so much more to life than just what we see people dealing with in a physical way. Over this last year, I've heard of more people going to counseling for depression and anxiety than ever before. I believe these are spiritual issues that we're dealing with today, and there are times where we need to be praying for one another. God is described as the lifter of our heads in the book of Psalms, and we need to be uplifted through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need to be praying for one another because these are spiritual issues, but praying for one another also shows love. John 13, 35, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, all the world will know about the way that you love one another. However, sometimes I think that we think that that really meant by the way that you argue with one another, but Jesus really meant what he said. So look, I was in college. um, There was somebody that i really just, I didn't like him for whatever reason. I still can't put my finger on exactly why that was but I went to a mentor and I was explaining who this person was and what they were doing and why they were so under my skin. And he sat me down, he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, I want you to go pray for them by name for 30 days. And I was like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I don't want to pray for them. He said, go sit down. I don't care if you're just at the first couple of days, you're just, the words need to come out of your mouth. I said, okay. So I started praying for that person, and within two weeks, everything about my relationship with that person changed because I quit looking for what was wrong with them because God pointed out very clearly to me that I was the problem, that I was not understanding how God was using them to further his mission because there was some jealousy that was in my heart. So the way that we pray for one another gives us new perspective and shows us that we need to be caring about the things that God cares about, not just the things that we care about. We should be consistently praying for one another today as a church, consistently. That is a way that we can love one another. That is a way that we can serve one another because the power of prayer is real and we see that in the scripture. So the next type of prayer that we see in this first couple of verses is thanksgiving. When we approach God through prayer, we should always be thanking him for what he has provided for us. There is no way that you or I could repay your, yours or my sin debt. There's no way that we could do that. There's not enough work that we could do in the world to repay that, but God sent Jesus for us, and if he never blessed us again a day in our lives, that would be more than enough. That would be more than enough because he has sent Jesus for us to pay our sin debt so that we could be reconciled to him. There was a hymn that we would sing when I was young just about every week called, He Has Made Me Glad. You may uh, have have heard that song before, but it quotes Psalm 100, verse 4. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I'll say this is the day that the Lord has made, and he has made me glad. Sometimes it is difficult for us to process our own needs. The things that we need physically, the things that we need spiritually, especially whenever we look around the world and we see the brokenness and the hurt. And it's really easy for the noise of the world to come in and make us forget why we have hope. It's really easy for messaging around us to distort where our hope comes from. And we may think that it comes from other, from other things outside of Jesus, but can I tell you the only fulfillment, the only hope that we have in this life is through, uh, through the Son of Man who was raised up on the cross. The only hope that we have is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's important for us to understand that all of these types of prayers are to be made for all people, not just people who look like us or act like us or believe like us. What if God was to take someone who is totally despicable, totally despicable, and he was to say, You need to start praying for that person? We may have a little bit of pushback in the flesh. Can I tell you that that's what some of the followers of Jesus were doing when they were praying for the apostle Paul? Somebody who was hunting them down, who was killing them. The Roman government would hang Christians and light them like tiki torches to light the streets at night. And he's saying, pray for those who persecute you. And guess what? We have probably the greatest Christian that has ever existed In the Apostle Paul, as he's written the majority of the New Testament, that we look at his boldness and his faith, nobody is too far gone for God to change their hearts. The gospel should be proclaimed to all people. We should be praying for all people. It should be the desires of our hearts to see God move and change the hearts of men and women all over the world. But then it continues in verse two for Kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Notice it doesn't say for kings or people in authority who have similar policies to what you would have. It doesn't have kings or all those who are in high positions who do things that you agree with, or for kings or people in high positions that you like. We are called to pray for people who are in power because God is the one who put them there, whether we like it or not. Okay? Now look, I'm with you. It's difficult to pray for leaders who may have go against everything that you think that that the Scripture stands for, but if we understand that God is greater than who that leader is, then we're praying to God for their salvation, and we're praying to God that He would change their hearts, and we're praying to God that God would do a work in their life, because that is the perspective that we get through the Scripture. So we should be praying for government leaders. We should be praying for spiritual leaders. Now look, I've only been on staff for about three years here, but I see some of the spiritual warfare that Pastor Tim goes through on a day-to-day basis just from being in the office. Even I'm sure there's even more that goes on at home. We need to be praying for our pastor. We need to be praying that he is He's on vacation today, and I hope that as he comes back, he's energized and recharged, but we need to be praying for him that he is not attacked by the enemy. We need to be praying for him that he's energized to bring the truth of God's word to us on a weekly basis. But to these Christians who Paul was writing this letter to, when he says pray for kings and for those who are in high positions, he's saying pray for the ones who are hunting you physically. Pray for the ones who are coming after you. Pray for the ones who are trying to outlaw what you're doing. And church, we need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for Christians who are being persecuted. And look, I may not like that, you may not like that, but Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. You can take it up with the Son of God, okay? We need to be praying for those who persecute us. The second half of verse number two, it says that we should lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We are a peaceable people. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. In another place, the apostle Paul says that we should not be a cause of strife in the world. We live in a peaceable way. We strive for peace, are his words, meaning we're not always going to be at peace, but we strive for peace. Why? So that we can have influence for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not so we can have influence for ourselves, but so that we can point people to Jesus because he is the one who saves. We are not. We have billions of people with a B, billions of people in the world who are dying and going to hell all around us. And our hearts should be stirred to pray for those people to be called into action, to go and share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus around us. We should be living in peace. And that is a mark that looks very odd to a world that is at war around us. It is weird to the world to see people who are at peace whenever there is war over things like identity, when there's war over things like ideologies, when there's war over Uh, different ideas of how the economy should be run. But everywhere I look in the scripture, it says that Jesus is the prince of peace. And as we live peaceable lives, it gives us opportunities to speak truth into the world around us. So the second point that I want you to see in the text today in verses three and four, the mission of our prayer. The mission of our prayer is not unlike the great mission that Jesus gave to us to make disciples of all nations heard it said before that anything that's worth doing is worth doing well. And I believe that we can't go on the great commission if we're not first praying for strength and boldness to share the gospel. Verses three and four, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. It is good for us to pray for all people. It is good for us to live in a way that allows us to point people towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse number four is very important for us to understand because this is not in any way, shape, or form a universalist approach to salvation, but this is very clearly saying that not everyone on the earth is saved, but the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was sufficient for all of sin all of sin. When we say there's power in the blood, when Jesus died, there is forgiveness for all sin in him, but it is only efficient for those who believe. It is only efficient for those who believe. So anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, if we believe that, if we believe that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, if we believe that all of us have come into this world with a sin problem, then all of us can be saved by calling on the name of the Lord, humbling ourselves and believing on the Lord Jesus. All of us can be saved through his death, burial and resurrection, but that does not mean that all people are saved. It means that we have to call upon the name of the Lord. We have to humble ourselves, repent of our sin, and believe on the Lord Jesus. This is the reason that we live on mission. This is the reason that we send international missionaries all around the world because salvation is not for Jewish people or for people descended from Pharisees or for any certain race. God says there is one race, the human race, and Jesus died for all of us. So we go and we share the gospel. We share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. And again, we can look directly to the author of this letter and say that everyone is worthy of hearing the gospel. Everyone is worthy of hearing the gospel. We should not have God lay someone on our heart and say, well, yeah, God, you don't know about them. You don't know about what they've done. You don't know about how they've made me angry Why would we keep the gospel from other people? Why would we think that we need to live in a holy huddle whenever God himself through in Jesus calls us to go and make disciples of all nations? We should not decide someone's fate in our own mind, but we should always be obedient to share the gospel as we have opportunity. The last thing that I want you to see today is the example of prayer. The example of prayer, verses five through seven. In every walk of life, we have a perfect example of what life looks like in Jesus Christ. As Timothy is pastoring the church, the emphasis that they're dealing with is this elitism that has come into the church. But whenever we see Jesus in his ministry, Jesus doesn't care about elitism or who your daddy was. Jesus cares about the hearts of people. Jesus cares about the heart of God. So the Pharisees, as we're talking about Jesus, we need to talk about this group of religious elite people that Jesus was dealing with. The Pharisees said that salvation came through keeping the law and through works. And Jesus said, no, it's not. It's through believing in the Son of Man or in himself. So he illustrates this for us in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, a religious leader named Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the covering of night. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he even says, we know that you're from God. We know you are. No one would be able to do the things that you're doing if he was not from God. And Nicodemus engages in a conversation with Jesus to where Jesus says that you must be born again. And that was confusing to Nicodemus. But then Jesus gives an example to Nicodemus to help open his eyes to see what he was saying. And he picks an interesting moment in the Israelites moving through the desert to where there were some poisonous snakes around okay we're getting to that time of year i don't want to say that word too many times cuz i don't want to see one when i leave the building but there're poisonous snakes and when one of the Israelites was bitten they didn't have medicine to cure said snake bite okay so what did god do god tells moses go and fashion this bronze serpent and raise it up in in the midst of the people so that whenever they're bit they can look up and they can look to the to this snake and they will be healed. Okay? So he's explaining this to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is, you know, he's understanding what's happening. But this is Jesus foretelling where he would be lifted up on a cross to where we would have to lift our eyes to be healed of something that we cannot be healed from. It was God providing a way for us to be reconciled from ourselves, for us to be saved from our sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that was not limited to a certain kind of people. He says again in, verses, in, chapter, in John chapter three, verses 16 to 18, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the son of God. Can you see that belief is key here? We have to believe in the son of God. And if we believe in him, and if we believe the things that the scripture says about him, it changes everything about the way that we live. It changes everything about the way that we deal with worry and anxiety. It changes everything about the way that we treat people around us. It changes everything about who we are because instead of living for ourselves, instead we die to ourselves and we live for Christ. Is that not what baptism is? It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus where we die to ourselves and we are raised to walk in a newness of life that brings honor and glory to him. Verses five through seven of First Timothy chapter two, for there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. In verse number five, it's important that Paul points out that there's one God because they're living in a very polytheistic society. But here he gives us a picture of one God in three forms in the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. There's Trinitarian language here, and that's just a beautiful way that he included that in this passage. But then we see the gospel presented very clearly as Jesus Christ as our mediator between us and God. Because when we came into this world as sinners, we were dead spiritually. We were alive physically, we were dead spiritually. But once we put our faith and our trust in what Jesus has done and his finished work on the cross, only then are we brought into spiritual life. He is our mediator. He was the one who made a way for us to be brought into spiritual life. But not only that, Jesus is our intercessor sitting at the right hand of the God, uh, of God pleading for us. Jesus is praying for you right now. So brother or sister, if you are feeling alone or if you're feeling forgotten today, I want you to know that God is all around you and that he is pleading your case at the right hand of the Father right now. He is praying for you. So because Jesus is pleading our case, we then live through his example by pleading the case of one another to the Father. And John chapter 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus before he goes to the cross. And y'all, I get chills when I read this in the scripture. He starts out by praying for the disciples and then he shifts his attention to pray for us. As Jesus is going to the cross, he prays for you. He prays for me. In verse chapter 17, verses 20 to 23, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that we may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. If we are seeking the heart that Jesus has for humanity, we pray for all people. We pray for our community. There is a lost and dying world right outside of these doors that the Point Church should be loving to the point of life, Jesus Christ. That's our mission, right? That's our mission, to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. I was listening to a conference not long ago, and somebody got up on the platform, and they said, you know, one of the most humbling questions that somebody can ask from a pulpit is when is the last time you led somebody to faith in Jesus? Because usually there's crickets in the room. And can I just tell you and remind you that gospel conversation should not be something that we talk about as having one a year, but something that we're looking at every single day? Who is God putting in your path to share the gospel with? As we start to conclude our sermon this morning, we're going to transition into something that we call first priority. And as we do that, I want you to start thinking about somebody who you know, whose path you cross and that you know is lost. I want you to think about that person, picture them in your mind, and I want you to start praying for them. Every day, today, tomorrow, the next day, and keep praying for them, for their salvation. I want you to keep praying for them until you see God do a work in their life.